Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. On this week's episode of Walk Talk, our guest is Carol Bauer. Carol is currently employed by the Beaumont Health System in Troy, Michigan, as a wound and ostomy nurse practitioner, where she operates an outpatient ostomy clinic. Carol has been a certified WOC nurse since 1997. As an active member of the society, she is passionate about the development and empowerment of WOC nurses and the WOCN society. This has motivated her to seek various roles within the society, including member at large with the board of directors, a member of the ostomy committee, the scholarship committee chair, and a member of the scope and standards task force. Today, we're talking with Carol about her role as the committee chair for the scholarship committee. Thanks so much for joining me, Carol. Hi, Jody. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm happy to be here to be able to talk to you about this important topic of scholarship with the WOCN Society. Yeah, I'm delighted that you could be with us. Now, we know each other pretty well, and so I know that you have served on many, many committees and had different roles in the society. And so my first question for you is, what made you sign up to be part of this particular committee versus other things you could have spent your time on? Well, it's funny. Scholarship has always been a huge part of who I have been as a WOC nurse. And I think a lot of that was driven into me by where I started my career as a WOC nurse at the Detroit Medical Center. I was very fortunate to work with three fabulous people who felt wound and ostomy care were the way that we should go and that we should really move treatment based upon evidence. And so it really became part of of who I was as a nurse. I was really fortunate to work with Joanne McElbust and Mary Seagreen, who wrote one of the very first books on pressure ulcer care, and also with Mary Gerlach, who had been my preceptor. Mary always strived in me never to just become a product nurse. And I've said that about Mary for many years, never become a product nurse. So you really needed to look at the whole base of evidence and not just choose something based upon a product X or product Y. So they were really probably the first people to mentor me into who I am today. But also when I look at thinking about scholarship, I think about Dr. Barbara Piper and Dr. Morris Magnan, and they've been really very instrumental in my career and helping me to expand my thinking about scholarship and education and evidence-based And actually, it was Barb who mentored me into this role as scholarship chair, recruited me to be part of the scholarship committee, and then mentored me into being the chair. So I'm really grateful to have her leadership uh, behind me as I took on this role. I mean, Barb is the epitome of the professional nurse who thinks about scholarship and education. I mean, I had a laugh at her this past year. She took on the role as acting dean at Wayne State University when she was telling me she was going to retire. So, you know, I have these really great role models that have driven me to think about scholarship and the importance of it to our practice. 
And I know that you have a lot of experience as a, a walk nurse in oncology. Tell us a little bit about your current role, because I think you've moved away from that oncology position and broadened your practice a little bit. So tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Well, it, it is interesting. And oncology is really a huge part of who I am. Um, having worked at the cancer center down in the city of Detroit at the Carmanos Cancer Center for more than 17 years. And it's funny, I have taken a position with Beaumont Health, which really we have kind of looked as being a generalist kind of a hospital. But cancer is across the continuum still a huge part of what my practice is. My role at Beaumont Health is that I operate an outpatient clinic for ostomy patients. Now, when I went back to school in 2000, or graduated in 2009, I guess I went back to school before that, with my nurse practitioner, it was my goal to open an outpatient clinic for those who were having issues with their ostomy. I had done that at the Carmanos Cancer Institute, but it was a very small clinic, and I was very fortunate at Beaumont Health when they pursued me to come there to run an outpatient ostomy clinic, that they really had a big vision for the clinic. And surprisingly, I still see a lot of cancer patients. I would say probably at least half of my practice are people who are coming into the clinic or I'm seeing them postoperatively or preoperatively for stomacyte marking are cancer patients because we have a very large colorectal practice to the point where today I'm happy to say that I have been able to grow the clinic such that I had to hire a, a 0.5 to help me because it was way too much work for me as one person to do by myself. It's surprising. You wouldn't think that. I thought when I moved out to the suburbs, I wouldn't see the kind of problems that I saw when I was down in the cancer center. At the cancer center, a lot of people who didn't have insurance couldn't get their supplies. Out in the suburbs where I'm working now, it's people don't know about their supplies. They maybe are able to get supplies, but they don't know what to do with their supplies. I was shocked my first year at Beaumont Health that I had a lady come in who was doing colostomy irrigation from back in the 70s, and she whips out of her bag the tube she'd been using for 30 years, the one that we had gotten rid of because they were dangerous and people had perforated their bowel. And she says to me, I just don't know what to do with this cone. So really surprising where where we see, and she, of course, was a cancer patient, permanent, um, you know, had an APR, permanent colostomy. So um, she, of course, had a great survival 30 years later, but it's really interesting the things that I'm seeing in this outpatient clinic and the needs people have. We really need as a society, we really need to get it to the point where this is a supported service for our patients and reimbursable. Um, I know I don't generate enough to, for salary support. But we really need to think about this as part of the continuum of care and rehabilitation for our patients. Oh, okay, wait, now I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you find now with the shortened length of stay, though, that that outpatient care is even more important than ever? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I am seeing people come in with LARs for rectal cancer and a temporary loop ileostomy going home in three days. Right. So are we. It's amazing. And when op day is Wednesday, they get one lesson on Friday and they're going home on Saturday. So it is really, I don't know what I would do as a patient. Would I be able to know enough? Some of these people are older. So it's a little bit scary, but, and I guess that's where we have to give kudos to our home cared walks 
because without them, I don't know where my patients would be. I know at Bowen Health, we were in a little bit of a predicament because our WMC nurse in home care resigned. And I had to really scramble to find agencies that had certified ostomy nurses for my patients. I was very fortunate in that I have three different agencies in my area where I have WOC nurses working in home care. I should say that I have two of them are WC nurses. One is just a certified ostomy nurse, but she's doing a fabulous job for me and important for care of the patients. That's great. A lot of areas don't seem to have the support across the continuum. So that, that's really great that your patients are able to take advantage of that. So Carol, let's talk about the scholarship program. Uh, tell us about the program overall a little bit and what goes on with that whole process. Well, the WOCN scholarship program is driven by the mission and the vision of the WOCN society, as well as our scope and standards when we look at our advanced practice scholarships. I'm really proud of the work that we've done with this committee because we have really tried to go back and revamp in the last couple of years, revamp the program so that we really are looking at giving scholarships to people who are going to contribute to the WOCN society and the work of the WOC nurse. So the society offers scholarships twice per year in the spring and in the fall. In the fall, the scholarship cycle opens in August and closes in November, and the spring cycle opens in February and closes in May. So there's a large window of opportunity for people who are considering applying for a scholarship to actually collect their information and submit their scholarships. So you think about it, if you just think February, March, April, May, you got four months to be able to collect the information that's required or to ponder upon the questions and to read the directions so that you can provide the best possible answers to the scholarship questions. Like I said, I'm really very proud of the work that the committee has done on the development of this program and that we're really focusing on giving scholarships to those nurses who are going to contribute. Formerly, one of the big driving factors before we revamped the program was financial. And I'm not saying that financial isn't still a portion of the scholarship program, but we really went and looked at the scholarship program and taking into consideration the fact that our program runs across the country. And when we look at the financial part of the scholarship, we're looking kind of like income. And we as a committee went through and said, but you know what? $100,000 income means different things in Detroit, in Dubuque, in New York City, and in California. And so for me in Detroit, $100,000 might get me a whole lot of stuff. I might be living the life of Riley, whereas $100,000 in New York City or San Francisco, I might be living in a 500-square-foot studio. So we really kind of looked at those kinds of things, trying to make the scholarships be equitable for financial issues, but also considering what the applicant will bring to the work of the WOC nurse and to the society. That's great. So what type of criteria or what type of questions are asked for somebody that's applying for a scholarship? 
Well, there are a number of criteria. Of course, like I said, we look at the financial obligations of the applicant. Have they had other reimbursement from their employer or other scholarships? And there's really just a standard formula that is generated on the computer for the reviewer to look at. Every scholarship is evaluated by two committee members. That being said, that this is a computer-generated thing, we do look carefully at what's being listed. So if something is put in that doesn't quite make sense to us, then we're going to, and we might reach out to the applicant and ask some questions about, you put down this expense and I don't really understand it. I'm usually the one reaching out and asking some questions about that. So again, like I said, that's a small portion of our scoring. And what our really our biggest focus has been on has been on service and expansion of the WOC nurse role. For the accredited portion, there are three key questions that I think have a lot of weight. And number one is, in 500 words or less, please describe why you want to become a WOC nurse. So we want to know why is it, what drives you, what is your passion, why do you want to do this kind of work? And we want to know about personal strengths and challenges because we all have them. And it is really hard to think about your strengths and challenges. And I think if I look at the scholarships that I personally have scored, that that's probably one of the things that our applicants struggle with the most is tooting their own horn or saying, I struggle with this. But it is something that is weighted within the application. We also ask the accredited person to say, how do you see your daily work as a WOC nurse aligning with the mission and the vision of the society? We want them to go back and look at the mission and vision. And lots of times we get people just telling us why, again, why they want to be a WOC nurse without having really gone back and look at the mission and the vision of the society. And finally, for the accredited, we want to know how do you see yourself using your WOC nursing education in the next five years? Where do they see themselves? Do they see themselves running a wound care center? Do they see themselves as being the lead WOC nurse in their hospital? Or are they just going to be the one who is going to champion wound care in their facility? Whatever their vision is. I mean, most people are kind of used to that kind of a question. So we really want to see, are they going to play a consultative role? Are they going to provide education? Are they going to be looking at product development within their organization? We have some key words that we provide to the reviewers that we want to see come back to us from the applicant. Now, for the advanced person, we ask a slightly different version of those questions. So again, in 500 words or less, How do you view your WOC nurse role evolving as you obtain an advanced degree? We really want to see that the person plans on continuing to use their WOC nurse education. We really don't want to be funding WOC nurses who are, I don't know, going to go on and work in cardiac care, let's say. So we really want to see that the person is committed to staying within the WOC role. Now, that doesn't mean that their whole role maybe will be WOC nursing, but I know I have a friend who is a nurse practitioner and she works as a surgical nurse practitioner, which she does other things within general surgery, but part of her role within the team is to make sure that people have their prescriptions and 
education is being done by the nurses and those kinds of things. So we want to hear about those kinds of things. The next question we ask for the advanced is, how do you see your role as advanced practice nurse aligning with the WOC nursing scope of practice and the mission of the WOCN society? So we really do want them to go back to the scope and standards and tell us how is it that you see your practice changing as you become a nurse practitioner. The scope and standards very clearly calls that out. And we want them to be familiar with this very important document to our practice. We also, again, want to see how they see themselves aligning with the mission of the society. The final question we ask for the advanced practice nurses after obtaining your advanced degree, what contributions to the profession of WOC nursing do you anticipate due to obtaining your advanced degree? Do we see them publishing something? Having gotten my advanced degree only in 2009, I know that I had to write a paper and I went on and published my paper so that it was out there for other nurse practitioners. In fact, my paper was on pressure ulcer prevention for the primary care nurse practitioner. I see that very often in my practice where our regular NPs feel at a loss on how to take care of people who have maybe just basic things that they forgot that a regular nurse should know. So are you going to be the mentor, the role model? Are you going to be the person within your practice? That could be one thing that would happen. Or again, publishing, doing research, encouraging evidence-based practice, being a mentor to other people within your organization. Those are a lot of things that we're looking for for the advanced practice. The other thing that each applicant is asked to do is to obtain three letters of reference. Now, these are submitted by the person that they have asked via the computer. So that's just done. I believe it's just done through the website. I have to say, I don't, there's a a staff person who takes care of that. So that's not a lot of my knowledge on how it happens. I know it's magically in the applications when we're reviewing them, but we also score those. I don't hold a lot of weight to the applications, to their letters of reference. I kind of glance over them. I read them. They're very nice letters that are written for many people because you're not going to ask somebody who doesn't like you to give you a letter of reference. Each letter of reference is only worth five points. So that's only 15 points into your score. We also give points for following the directions. So that's an important part is that you follow the directions. And also for grammar and writing. I know prior to us asking for a 500-word essay, we were seeing bullets and copying and pasting and very poor grammar being written on the applications. I know we kind of went back and forth because there were some people who felt we shouldn't be grading people on whether they can write or not. And some people aren't good writers. And, you know, that really is true. But you can phone a friend. So get somebody, if you're having and struggling with that, you should get somebody to help you. I talked earlier about my relationship with Morris Magnet. He's my writing mentor. And he'll say to me, Carol, you can't write that. I have published, but I still go back to Morris and say, I need you to look at this for me. So there should be somebody as you're writing your application to go back and say, does this make any sense? Does this sound good? 
Or how do you think I could beef that up? And it maybe it'll be somebody you asked to do your reference. It is only five points, but sometimes those five points for following directions could be the difference between getting a scholarship and not getting a scholarship. So I really encourage people to read the directions and really answer the questions we're asking. We had one great application where I was like, for an advanced scholarship where the person was either working, I think was working on their PhD, and she went into a really long explanation about her research. I was fascinated, but it didn't answer my questions. So we really want people to answer the questions. I can't wait to read her research when she publishes it. (laughs) Clear communication is such an important part of what we do as nurses and as walk nurses. I think that it's good that you expect clear communication and following directions for this process too, because that's a skill that all of us really need uh, to function. So that's great. And so if somebody obtains one of these scholarships, Carol, do they have any obligation to work in the role? Or once we as an organization have given the scholarship, then the person can do whatever they want with the funds? That is a question that we have been asked in the past, and I know people have brought up to me. And I think that's why we moved the way we're scoring the applications, because there was rumor in the past that people were getting scholarships and then not going on and working as WOC nurses. We do not currently have a policing policy. We do have a policing policy with you have to finish your program. If you're going on to be a WOC nurse and you don't complete your program, then you're going to be required to give the money back. We recently had somebody who had a family emergency and was unable to complete a program. And she just let the society know and did give her money back. We felt really bad for her and her family emergency and and certainly encouraged her to come back to us and to continue on with her education. But I think we need to, at some point, figure out how to do that. And I, you know, I really hate to be the policeman. So right now we are not being a policeman, but I think the way we are looking at handling it is what people write for their answers for their questions. Okay. That makes sense. And so if somebody submits an application for a scholarship, how long does it take for them to find out if they have received it or not? We have that long four-month window for people to submit. Once the application process window has closed, I think that within a very short period of time, one of the staff members will assign the applications to the committee members for review. Each committee member will have in the neighborhood of between, I don't know, but if we have 50 applications, you might have 10 or 12 that you have to actually sit down and review. So the committee members have a window of about two weeks to review the applications. And then I have about a week to decide based upon scoring who's going to actually get a scholarship. Those that are chosen based upon their scores are then submitted to the board of directors for approval. So the length of time really from the closure of the scholarship cycle to them receiving notification can be 60 days. But they know pretty fast. So once the closure is done, the staff members, according to our rules, have 60 days to notify the applicants who have not received scholarships and those who have and to issue the checks out. Gotcha. So that's a pretty efficient process then. 
It's funny. I am, as the reviewers in that two-week window, I am pretty much on the computer every night looking to see the scoring because I do, as the committee chair, look at the scores that the committee members are giving. Because if there's a big disparity between the scoring, let's say somebody gives somebody an 80 and somebody gives the person a 40, I go back and I review the application myself to see why is there such a big disparity. Because I want to be sure. Now, if somebody gives somebody a 50 and somebody gives them a 30, I'm not looking at it because they aren't in the range. The cutoff window is 72. So I don't go back and look at those ones per se, but I maybe look at, I don't know, at max 10 scholarships during the cycles, 10 applications. Sometimes people have asked questions too about, can you look at this? and see what's going on with this scholarship, because I'm not really sure what they're trying to say. And those are the ones where I might reach out to the person who has submitted their application and ask a question about how did that relate. I think we had one gentleman who was applying for a scholarship. I thought he was a kind of a crazy guy. He was working not only on his master's, but also going to WOC school at the same time. Wow. I don't know how he And that's why I said, how are you doing that? Do you not have a life? And he chuckled and he was using his employer reimbursement for his master's degree and then came to the society for a scholarship for his WOC education. I had to give him kudos. He must have been really smart to be able to get through all of that at the same time. I don't know if I could have done that. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And so the Fund the Future campaign that the society has embarked on, that must be helping to fund some of the scholarship that our members are able to obtain, it would seem. Yes, that's a great opportunity for our members to really pay it forward, to make a donation to the Fund the Future program. And especially as we're coming up to conference, I know there's always a big push at conference to contribute to Fund the Future it takes a lot of money and a lot of work. And nurses aren't always the most well-paid. And we have a lot of single parents applying for scholarships, people with a lot of other financial needs. And so we really want to see this program remain solvent. We have some industry partners who have helped with Fund the Future, but this is really our opportunity as WOCN society members to really contribute to the education of the future. You know, we need to have nurses who are going to take care of us. One day we're going to be old and God forbid we should have a venous stasis ulcer or end up with a stoma that is difficult to manage and you need somebody else to help you. Or urinary incontinence, whatever the problem may be, we're going to want to have specialists available to us. And so I think Fund the Future campaign is a great opportunity for every member to be part of this scholarship promotion program. This also sounds like a great opportunity for somebody that might be interested in volunteering as a committee member, because it seems like the workload is episodic a couple of times a year. It's intense. But what do you find about that as far as the people that are on your committee and that review the applications? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I look at when we have a call for volunteers, people are able to say, I want to be involved with scholarship. Uh, when we have openings on the committee, the staff member will give me a list of whomever is said I'm interested in scholarship. And I kind of look at them to see who's maybe going to be new to the society and who hasn't 
volunteered before because I think that that's a really important thing that we need to be um, as a society bringing people into the society and this is a really good committee that you're right doesn't require a lot to do we have two committee meetings just before the scholarship cycle opens and it's only a conference call where we review the process that you're going to go through because you know you forget it's only twice a year um, the process. We have a, um, a PowerPoint we go over. Sometimes the call is only 30 minutes. It's not a huge ordeal to kind of go through the PowerPoint and make sure that everybody knows how to do it. Then you are set off on your own. You review your scholarships at your pace. Sometimes the pace drives me crazy when you're leaving it to the 11th hour and I'm waiting <laughs> on you, but it's okay. You had 11 hours. I'm letting you have it. I'm just one of those OCD kind of people, but I do try and let you have all the all of the two weeks to be able to get your reviews in. And you do. You do it on your own pace. You can do it at home and with your pajamas on and your bunny slippers if you want. Nobody's looking at you. There's no question. You just sit down and look at the criteria that we have, read through the applications, and then give the people a score. I think that it is a great committee to bring yourself forward. It's good for some of our young WOC nurses who are maybe busy with a family but still want to be involved. You can work on this committee at night after your kids go to bed. Or I'm a crazy morning person. In the morning early before you go off to work, it's an opportunity to be able to look at the things. I know that where I work at Beaumont Health, we have a huge firewall. I can hardly look at anything. I can open up the scholarship site at work on my lunch hour. So I think most places, because it's part of the WOCN.org website, that you are able to go ahead and look at that kind of stuff, even if you had 30 minutes at work to sit down and review it. So I think it's a great opportunity for somebody who has a limited amount of time and is worried, oh, I don't have time for committees, because it's not a huge obligation. Yeah, sounds like an interesting one, though, for sure. So do you ever hear from people after they've received a scholarship and maybe completed their education? Does anybody ever reach out to you and tell you what happened or how they made out or any of that? I know that the society does get thank you letters often from people who are reaching out and thanking the society for the scholarships. Sometimes we get letters back, too, though, from people who didn't get a scholarship And that's one of the things that I think is important for those people who are thinking about applying for a scholarship is is that there are two windows in each calendar year. And so if you've applied for a scholarship in the first window of the calendar year, you may still be able to apply if you didn't get one in the first scholarship cycle to apply again. That, of course, is true with your advanced practice degree because there is a good length of time that you have as working on your degree to apply and complete the application. But most people, we ask that you are within the window of, you have one year during your time of study for your WOC accredited program, you have one year to complete it. So if you think about it early and you didn't get a scholarship the first time around, I encourage you to go ahead and apply again. Oh, good. But really read the directions. That is, if I had to say the most often, the biggest problem is people don't read the directions. It's kind of nice to see who's gotten scholarships, how they have moved on. I actually had the really fortunate 
opportunity to be able to hire one of our scholarship recipients. I didn't know her when she applied for the scholarship, but she was one of the people who wrote a really great application and now is my new partner. So I didn't know her when she applied though. And so it's kind of really nice to see how the scholarship helped her to go on and achieve her goal of becoming a woodenostomy nurse. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's really kind of a a fun thing to see that kind of go full circle. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you have uh, really good help also. So that's like a win in both uh, arenas. You're right. (laughs) All right. So what would you say to somebody who's considering applying for a scholarship? Well, the number one thing, and I probably have said this three times in our talk, is read the directions. Again, we want you to go back and look at the mission and the vision of the society, as well as the scope and standards if you're applying for an advanced practice role. Think about your strengths and your weaknesses. We want you to do a little bit of thinking as you're writing your essay, and we want you to think about what do you have to offer to the society and to WOC nursing. That's what we're really looking for in our application. We want to know where are you going to go How are you going to contribute? We know everybody has something inside of them worthwhile that is going to advance this role of WOC nursing. And it's very exciting to see these young WOC nurses or these WOC nurses go on to great things who are working on their advanced degrees. Like I said about the one gal who wrote so much about her research, I was excited to read it but it wasn't the question we asked. So I know she's going on and doing great things, but we really need to have them answer the question. Just like for abstract submission, it's the same thing. (laughs) Yes, just follow the directions. Follow the directions, exactly. All right, so this has been great, and I've learned so much about this whole process that I didn't know before. So anything else that it's important that our listeners would want to know about this, Carol, that I didn't ask you already? Oh my gosh. I think the most important thing if I were telling people about it is is that you can reapply. If you don't get it the first time around, think about where you are in your program. That's probably the most important thing that we really want to see people get a scholarship. I'm excited when we have 50 people who apply for a scholarship. I feel bad we only offer 10 each cycle. And maybe if we have more people give money to fund the future, the society will be able to give more scholarships. I don't know. We can always dream about where we can go and where this program can go. And really all has to do with money. And I mean, after all, that's what a scholarship is about. But really looking at how we can advance our profession in our society. Well, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your spending time with me tonight. And I think it's a great program. And I hope everybody that's eligible and trying to go to school applies. So you get lots of applications. I'm hopeful too, because it's an exciting part when Megan lets me know, Carol, there's 56 applications. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, I hope you have a very productive fall session as that's starting to come up pretty soon. Yes, we're excited to look for the opening of the next session in the fall. All right. Thanks a lot, Carol. Okay. Thanks, Jody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode. 
and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.